0: You are listening to GMR Radio. And now, the Great Movie Radio Show.
1: All right, everyone. Quiet on the set. Places, places. We've got a show to make here. Our Chris and Gabriel. Okay, everyone, in three, two, one, and... Coming to you live from sunny Orlando, Florida, it's The Great Movie Radio Show, a movie talk podcast starring Chris and Gabe.
2: All right, hello everyone, and welcome to the Great Movie Radio Show. This is Chris Schneider. With me is my uh, compadre Gabe Jeramillo. Hello, everybody. Which that's changing. So, are we gonna we're gonna have to change that on the show? I guess I don't know. With us today is our. Uh, lovely friend and voice talent for the show, Dave Fesky. Welcome back to the show, Dave.
1: Thank you. Very, very nice to be back and good to see your faces while we talk. This will be, I think, more fun.
2: Well, Dave, we had you on for our 31st birthday of Great Movie Ride episode, and that was a wonderful two-hour extravaganza of my microphone messing up on three different occasions. And uh, yeah, so... I'll try not to get
3: pulled this time. <laughs> yeah. Well, if my microphone would have worked right,
2: you, we would have had you for the whole thing. My it's, hand disappeared, but I'm shaking my fist. Yeah, I know. Curse you! Microphone. Yeah. Technology. So, so yeah, that's why the we're downside,
1: like... The downside of videos is the call quality can sometimes be affected, but uh, hopefully we'll have a pretty smooth run
2: today. Yeah, we're hoping so. And if not, no one will ever see this, so they'll never know.
1: <laughs> that's a very good point.
2: Oh, yeah. What we're going to talk about uh, today is some inspirations from film that are beyond the favorites that you gave us for Around the Track and your top five uh, scores of composers and then uh, some directors and some other just, you know, odds and end movies and uh, ones maybe you didn't like some mm. some ooh, that wasn't that wasn't good. Mm.
1: That ha- That happens sometimes.
2: <laughs> they do. <laughs> So yeah, we're going to start with uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea being one of the uh, movies that have inspired you uh, beyond favorites. What about that is like special? What's important about this movie that even though it didn't make your favorite list that you, you still like, it's one of my favorites. So
1: it's kind of a, yeah, obviously multifaceted question to try to get around. One of the reasons why it was such a big inspiration was because it was my second favorite attraction when I first got to go to Disney world was the 20,000 leagues under the sea ride. Uh, but even before that, I was already like really obsessed with the movie. I loved the Nautilus. Um, I just thought it was like a really cool design and, and just a really fun story. I mean, it's just really like just intriguing story, um, you know, of this weird, you know, scientist, uh professor guy who just is, in a submarine traveling across the oceans, you know, he's uh, isolated himself from the rest of the mankind because he just doesn't feel like they are, uh, you know, like worth redeeming basically. Um, And then it's just a fun adventure movie. I mean, in terms of like Disney films and live action films uh, I think it's one of their best that they've ever made. And you look at the, the effects that went, went into it. I mean, you've got like miniatures and giant puppets, you know, the giant squid at the end is like a huge puppet uh, some really amazing actors, you know, in in the form of uh, Kirk Douglas and Peter Lorre and all these people. So I just always really, really liked it as yeah, just like a fun adventure movie, and then getting a chance to actually like go inside the Nautilus and actually you know go on an undersea adventure at at age uh, nine or ten, whatever it was, whenever I first went to Disney World, just like solidified it for me and. Ever since then, I've always just been really obsessed with it. I think, you know, it's just one of my favorite movies uh, ever. It doesn't really fit a lot of the genres that I would kind of think about. It's an action-adventure. It's kind of sci-fi. It's, you know, adapted from a pretty remarkable book. Uh, But I'm also just, I think more than anything else, I love the style of it and and the look of... uh, you know what would have the future looked like to someone in the 1880s or something, but the Nautilus I have like a huge passion for. I love it. I even have the tiki uh, glass <laughs> from from Trader Sam's. It was a yeah, breakaway. yeah. So yeah, it uh, just all around love it, and uh, also has just a of all things. My wife and I always sing. There's a song that ned landers who kirk douglas plays ned landers and it's the, oh, the whale of a tale to tell you lads a whale of a tale or two and it's all about the girls that he's had misadventures with and it's just really funny and anyway <laughs> yeah. it's a funny <laughs> song and and just a fun movie and yeah it's it's uh it's worth watching if you've never seen it before
2: i want to say i've seen it like when i was little but i can't remember like not enough to like say i've actually seen it and can have any memory of it so we'll just say it's not one I've seen. I don't know. Gabe, have you seen that one?
3: No, I can't. But I mean, like, you know, I, I looked it up on IMDb and stuff and saw some of the photos, and you could definitely tell, like, you know, there's a lot of movies nowadays. You can see the inspiration from this movie, and, you know, I never got to ride the ride at Disney World. If I did, it's like, you know, with you, Chris, watching the movie, I don't remember riding it, so it, it doesn't stick out to me, but it looks interesting. looks fun.
0: Yeah,
2: and I know it's, it's hailed as a classic, and Kirk Douglas is one of my favorite older actors from from that era. So it's it's one I need to maybe go back and reclaim into my memory. So, I don't know. Definitely, we'll uh,
1: I, I highly recommend it. Um, for years and years now, probably over the last, I don't even know, 10 years almost, there have been like various filmmakers whose names have been thrown out to potentially do like a remake of either the Disney version of the movie or just obviously adapt it from the book. Um, there's a lot of creative changes that Disney made, um, from the book. And one of the more interesting ones is in the book, the, the professor Nemo, he, uh, or captain Nemo, right? He, uh, he uses yeah. electricity in the book to power the submarine, and of course, when they, you know, when the book was written, uh, electricity wasn't even like a real thing yet. And in the Disney movie, they use—they don't really like explicitly say it, but uh, Captain Nemo actually uses fission, he uses nuclear power to yeah. power the submarine, which, of course, at that time was like unheard of. I mean, it was almost ten or fifteen years later when the U.S. Navy actually used nuclear-powered submarines. So. The book, obviously, was way ahead of its time. The movie was a little ahead of its time. And uh, everybody from, like, Brad Pitt to David Fincher, you know, have been tied to a 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea movie. So my hope and wish is that someday they will actually make another version of it, and uh, and it, you know, lives up to the hype.
2: Dude, Fincher made 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea with, like, Brad Pitt as kirk douglas's character that would be a box office draw and i'm sure it would be like a darker more intense version too which you know this ocean it's got some dark spots so that would be uh i'm sure that would be interesting plus fincher doing an underwater movie that would be
1: you know again you have this captain nemo individual who's basically a a super wealthy guy he's extremely uh intelligent person he's a collector of art and books and all this kind of stuff so he just kind of has this forward thinking view of mankind or humankind. And, uh, he decides that he doesn't want to have any part of it anymore. So he just builds himself a crazy submarine and, and, and what's funny is a lot of people, they misinterpret 20,000 leagues under the sea as a depth, but actually, uh, leagues is a distance. So in the mm-hmm. book and then in the movie, they actually traverse almost the entirety of the, of the world's oceans and stuff. And, uh, yeah, it's really
2: fascinating. Mm-hmm. Maybe it would be a Fincher movie then. <laughs> you never know. I'm oh, yeah. Yeah, um,
3: to check it out. I already, uh, as you were speaking, I, I uh, checked the Disney Plus, and it's yeah. on there. So It is? Yes, it oh, okay. Is. I, was, oh,
2: yeah. I, was, I was writing a note to myself to make sure it's on there.
3: <laughs> and I may have to get the book, too. I, I just got the other day uh, Ready Player One after you uh, you recommended the I was, book.
2: I
1: actually had the movie on. So I'm, I'm sitting in my office, and because it's also my work office, I have my work computer and my home computer. Anyway, I had Ready Player One playing on my home computer while I was like just doing emails and <laughs> stuff yesterday. So yeah nice. I really really fun yeah, really fun book and uh, I, I think the movie's really fun too. There's a lot of changes that Spielberg made and almost a good point, right? So like 20,000 leagues under the sea, ready Player One uh, a- adaptations of any kind, you know a good filmmaker can look at a book or, or another story structure and figure out the best way that it can fit into a film structure and make those kind of necessary adjustments and changes. And I think Disney, uh, I I don't know who directed 20,000 leagues under the sea, but uh, just Walt Disney studios in general, from a creative standpoint, made some, some fun changes to that story. And yeah, ready player one is also a a good one that they, they made some kind of necessary changes to, to make it more exciting and, and stuff, but I hope you enjoy the book. It's, it's fun.
2: Nice. The director was Richard Fletcher, Fletcher Fletcher. Who did Soylent Green and Red Sonia? Really? Yeah. Soylent
1: Green is made out of paper.
2: <laughs> and he did Conan the Destroyer. So uh, from Twenty
1: Thousand Leagues, working for Disney to these, you know, big uh, Arnold, uh, <laughs> Arnold action movies. That's awesome.
2: Oh yeah, he also did Fantastic Voyage. I recall seeing that when I was little. Actually,
1: that's a, that's a really fun one, too. Another kind yeah. of 60s movie. It's one of the reasons why I'm really upset. I never got to ride on Body Wars, which was an Epcot attraction. Yeah. Uh, but it was, a, it was a motion simulator. And my mom would not ride motion simulators. And for what, you know, she get motion sickness. And so uh, we never rode Body Wars. I got to ride Star Tours at the time when I was younger, but uh, I never got to ride Body Wars. But uh, Fantastic Voyage and Inner Space. The Dennis Quaid movie yeah. with Martin Shorts, uh, same thing. I just, yeah, I'm like absolutely fascinated by the, the the inner workings of the human body. So yeah, Fantastic Voyage. That's a Raquel Welch movie, fun anecdote. My mom said that when that movie came out, she's got two older brothers, my uncles, and they were like teenagers when that movie came out. And there's a scene in Fantastic Voyage where they're all out uh, like swimming around in the bloodstream and Raquel Welch is in this movie. And they're all wearing like scuba suits and they start being attacked by uh antibodies right and so they get back in their like little craft and the the other scientists that are there they have to like peel these antibodies that are sticking to raquel welch and her you know skin tight wetsuit kind of thing and my mom was joking she said you know my brothers would sit and watch that scene over and over again you know and like fantasize oh imagine if we have to be the one to, you know with raquel welch so it'd be like if you know sophia vergara was doing a movie now or something and just oh yeah i want to be the one that's there. So.
3: <laughs> you had me at sophia vergara i was gonna
2: say you right into that one you were like hello <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, God. this is why the bit vid- like people who are just listening are going to be like
2: what is happening Yep, yeah we're <laughs> having all this fun here in video land it's like all uh the-
3: listening to stand up like i don't i don't get it i missed that whole bit
2: yeah yeah
1: chris video land was the name of my parents video store.
2: that's right yeah <laughs> nailed it easter egg for everybody there we go there you go full circle baby uh, it, it, just, we, we're, and now we're going again we're taking right off uh <laughs> Next in Video Land, we're going to talk about Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, oh, for real. Yeah. Saving Private Ryan. What a film. I remember when that movie came out and my grandfather was still alive. And he, he would always tell me World War II stories. We I can't remember if we took him to the theater or when it came out. Uh, we got him the VHS. We ended up getting that for him anyways. Uh, but he watched it regardless. And it. he said it was his favorite movie. He said... Uh, it felt like I was back there and I felt like I was watching me going through the situation. Cause he was a medic in world war two. And so some of the situations that they went through, he, he had similar stories. Um, he told me one, uh, where a plane crashed. I forgot where they were. It's been a long time since my grandfather passed. And since I've heard stories from him, of course. And he, this big plane crashed, German plane and him and his, little troop uh, walked up just to kind of inspect for survivors. So like in 1917, where, you know, even though the foreign plane crashed and the two were walking, they still checked to make sure that, you know, try to be humane in war, but sometimes it doesn't work out. Uh, So they checked and this might get a little explicit, but there was just human brain juice and just parts all in the cockpit. And he's telling me this. And I think I was eight. And I'm just like. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Bro. Yeah, I know, I know. So, uh, so, Saving Forever I comes out and we're watching it. And you could see the look on his face. Just, it, 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 it was a mixture of awe. And he felt like he was living in the past and. Uh, you could you could see the enjoyment of the camaraderie of the troops in the movie with something he picked up on and probably was giving him memories of his own friends in war and uh, very mixed emotions during the film but he he it was his favorite um when he passed away my dad had a box for me and in the box and it's sitting on my shelf is the two vhs tape set of saving private ryan that was my grandfather's so it's it's near and dear to me and that's my two cents my ted talk but uh (laughs) uh it's a wonderful film hailed as the best world war ii movie of all time uh what about what about it makes it so inspirational for you i guess um
1: i mean i think it's kind of hard to articulate exactly why i think it's just obviously had like a massive impact because it inspired a lot of other media even afterwards so like i'm a big video game player and i like military first person shooters so things like the medal of honor allied assault or like the new call of duty world war ii and being able to sort of experience you know even almost like the film version of things um my grandfather was a a pilot in world war ii so a little bit different experience but he dropped off the 101st airborne in in normandy and stuff and that's matt damon's character is a paratrooper and all that kind of stuff but i also went to see the movie and. it was uh, just with my dad and my brother. And um, yeah, I just like distinctly remember actually going into the movie theater and sitting down and like uh, almost the entire experience of that particular watch uh, of that, watching that entire movie. Like I, you know, I can just like remember everything I felt the first time I watched it. And I was definitely like, you know, awed and inspired by the huge action sequences, you know, the big visual sequences as well. So the, you know, beach landing or the final fight at the end, or you know, the 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 assault on the radar station in the middle of it. Um, but it wasn't until after you know, like I joined the military and watched the movie several more times, that I actually began to appreciate those moments of just like the soldiers hanging around and and you know, shooting the shit and and all that kind of stuff with each other. And I almost appreciate those scenes more than you know the big set piece uh, scenes that are kind of around them. So. I think to your point, I mean, you can almost feel the camaraderie and all that kind of stuff, and it's it's neat too because you know they actually put the actors through a kind of boot camp and all this training and stuff. They did the same thing for the actors who did Band of Brothers and The Pacific, the HBO miniseries shows, um, which were also produced by Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks. So uh, they actually, you know, the, the cast actually bonded together and stuff as well. And I think that was uh, just pretty remarkable. And and from a filmmaking standpoint. You know, I have a really hard time trying to figure out what's your best, you know, what's Steven Spielberg's best movie. And um, I would argue that Saving Private Ryan is his best film that he's ever made. And looking at something like that beach landing, knowing that that scene in particular wasn't really something that was like scripted or planned, you know, and they they treated it just like they would have just like the soldiers would have treated the beach landing. You know, they basically said, here's where they're first getting onto the beach for the first time. Where's the soldier going to go? And it took them forever to actually film that whole sequence because they were only, they they would, they could only plan out 30 seconds to a minute at a time. And uh, yeah, just really, really, really fascinating. And you can tell like the, the love and appreciation and care that everybody put into that movie. And um, yeah, I think it's the best tribute to the men and and women who served during world war two that you could possibly ask for.
2: I haven't watched it yet, but I recently got the, uh, the 4K uh, UHD, and apparently they've redone everything in Dolby Vision and Dolby Atmos, and uh, I- I've read nothing but raving reviews on how like crystal clear the format is. So if getting to see it in the theater or right when it came out, you thought you were in there, I, I-, I still need to crack this thing open and watch it. But I can only imagine the clarity that it's going to provide and the immersive audio with the you know gunshots and the explosions and mortar rounds and also I, I I'm excited to watch it. And I've been meaning to. I just too many movies so little time.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I I,
0: I Gabe, will. Admit, have you seen Saving Private Ryan? I,
3: I will admit I have not seen it, and it's funny. Like oh. I I I haven't looked at your list since we talked last time, but I was like sitting there and it was like three o'clock in the morning, and next on AMC was Saving Private Ryan, and I was like, am I going to be awake that long? And I was like no <laughs> but I'm, I, I mean I, and also i mean i'm not like a big war movie person either but
0: yeah you know
3: man, that was a lot of war movies i feel like came out when i was like in my teens and i was like i don't want to watch this is weird and stuff and yeah. then you know maybe maybe now i'll give it a second shot and we'll see what happens maybe second. i'll come over and watch it with chris and i was gonna say theater. yeah
2: <laughs> there we go we'll
3: no, see just, i'll just i'll sit on the porch in a bubble and like social distancing <laughs> through, the, through the window
1: <laughs> Can you pass the popcorn, please. <laughs> well, I'm glad I didn't highlight too many scenes or anything because no. um, you know they, they could be potential spoilers, but it's yeah. yeah, it's just a really remarkable movie and yeah, it's not like one of those movies that one of the reasons why we've had a hard time sort of getting around to it, even though've I've had an interest since I, I did my list really is the main reason but um, it's not necessarily like an easy movie to watch, you know like from like an emotional standpoint, mm. you know, the kinds of things that you're probably going to feel going into it. And I think that's what makes war movies or just really heavy drama films, you know, not everybody's always in the mindset to be like, yeah, I think I want to go cry today or feel stressed out, you know, but that's not really the takeaway that I would sort of give to somebody. I would just say, no, like it's a really rich movie. It's a very fulfilling film. So, I mean, if you go and watch it, you'll just really appreciate not only the story that's being told, but just the fact that they could even do it. At that scale and all that kind of stuff so it's just it's really just an incredible film
2: you, you need to see it man it's yeah i mean based fun. on
3: what you guys are telling me i'm like oh my god like especially for oh. like you know with your grandparent and stuff like that like being in world war ii and seeing that i can only imagine like emotionally what they went through like it's like oh
2: yeah it was, it was like i was there yesterday but you know well, we're gonna move on before we all start crying and drinking and missing home while we're at home (laughs) i know (laughs) we're there man we're there fargo is the next one on your list and i have seen this one uh and i know it has connection to your home and that's that's one of the one of the reasons so i'll let you i'll let you dive into that because it's always fun to hear the story
1: (laughs) the funniest part to me is that only like the first five minutes of the movie takes place in fargo the rest of it just takes place all throughout Minnesota Brainerd Minnesota and Minneapolis St. Paul area and yes I've been to all of those places so my, my hometown is Moorhead Minnesota which I talked about in, uh, in, the, in the last episode right because uh, from the Big Lebowski one of the characters is from there but yeah the, the movie Fargo it was crazy like um, they had like an Oscars watch party at the Fargo theater when and Francis McDormand was there and all that kind of, I mean so it was like super awesome it like you know kind of blew our little I say little, but, you know, 100,000 people in the surrounding area and stuff. But, um, you know, people in the Fargo, Fargo area are not used to that level of attention. So the fact that, like, there was a whole movie named Fargo and it's like this crazy crime movie, you know, I mean, for first, so for people who don't know the story of it, uh, it's about a guy who hires a couple of thugs to kidnap his wife for ransom. That's the whole kind of plot behind the story. Uh, and then there's a, a female uh sheriff played by francis mcdormand who's also like seven months pregnant the character is like super pregnant uh anyway a lot of the stuff goes wrong there's some you know murders and all this kind of stuff and she gets involved and um yeah it's just an incredible movie it takes place in like the 80s and then everybody has just these outrageously thick minnesota accents so um, perfect i'm the, in yeah the the like the the thing of contention for everybody is like people in Fargo who are always like, we don't sound anything like that. And you're like, no, you do. Like everybody does. You know, <laughs> I've I've been able to kind of get rid of mine a little bit. But, you know, when I talk to my family back home, oh, so how is everyone doing then? Everyone having a good time? Oh, okay. yeah, you <laughs> betcha. So, I mean, like and the Coen brothers who, who wrote this, they, you know, if, if anybody's familiar with the Coen brothers at all, their scripts are like. It, like a Quentin Tarantino movie, like you as an actor, you just follow the script, whatever they write, that's what you say. And there's like a cadence to it. And some of the actors would say like, you know, there's one guy who's, he says his character is asking, I want to go to the Pancake house. And the actor go goes up to the Coen brothers and he's like, hey, you know, am I supposed to be saying, can I go to the Pancakes house? And they're like, no, just Pancake. Like no S at the end, you know, like it's bad grammar on purpose, that kind of stuff. And so every little yeah, you betcha and all those things. I mean, the head nods, all of that is like a cadence throughout the whole movie. And uh, really good performance, amazing performances. Frances McDormand, I think, won an Academy Award for her performance. Steve Buscemi is in it. William H. Macy is in it. Um, Incredible. And, you know, the Coen brothers had made successful movies prior to that. But Fargo really kind of catapulted them. You know, up into, uh, you know, up at a level where, where more people knew who they were. They were a little bit more niche before that. But yeah, so can't help throw uh, one out to my hometown.
0: There you
1: go. <laughs> There's another really funny thing about the movie Fargo is it starts out and it says, you know, this film takes place in 1987 or whatever it is. And it says this is based on a true story but it's not, there's actually nothing <laughs> true about it. They just put that at the start because they were like, yeah, we can, you know, we can say it is no, you know, but, um, and then of course now that has spawned the TV show, which um, oh, yeah. I've only like, seen the first season of the TV show. I need to continue watching, but it's already incredible. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure for the TV show, Martin Freeman is in the first season and I'm pretty confident he just like followed my dad around for a while <laughs> to get the accent. So it, cause it's that good. It's that, it's that spot on.
0: Yeah, I was going
3: to ask if it was uh, – because like, I knew there was a TV show, and I didn't know if it had, had any uh, correlation, but that's cool.
1: Loosely tied. Yeah, loosely tied. There's some strings that tie back to the film, but it's kind of its own own thing mm-hmm. as well. But, yeah, worth, worth checking out. So so you got to hear my Minnesota impression, which, uh, oddly enough, Gabe, that's also and, – and Chris, that's my Tracy Fox impression. So, you know. <laughs> Mr. Fesky, you did an impression of me on that podcast, and I love <laughs> that. <won't get.
2: laughs> we'll have to get a video response from her and throw it up <laughs> once, we, uh, once we share this. No, I was going to say the show. Uh, I think we've only seen season one, too, and I, I loved it. And I uh, need to watch season two.
1: Highly recommend. Watch the movie. Watch the show. Uh, it is dark comedy at its
2: finest. So the uh, the next one on your list is a glorious bastards, my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie of all time and it is is wonderful, such a fun and weird it's just chaotic look into you know the war and the only the way that Tarantino could do it honestly and the beginning just goes on and on and you're just like going right into it the terror of are they hiding? You know Jews, you know, in their house and during you know Nazi-occupied yeah. France. I think the movie's like ten years old now. Go ahead and talk about it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I, I had to put it on there because uh, you know, as as a, as far as Quentin Tarantino movies, it's yeah, I think it's my favorite one of his. I think it's just like the most most polished um, of all of his movies. And yeah, being like a World War II. History buff and, and movie buff in general, it was really fun to like see how he could take that genre and then like totally turn it on its head as well. So the you know altered history version of it is pretty incredible. The other thing too that really makes it stand out for me are the performances of some of the characters like Christoph Waltz, uh, Michael Fassbender. Um, Michael Fassbender had been in Three Hundred. He's actually in Band of Brothers, which is pretty incredible. And uh, yeah, and then I, I remember watching that movie and the moment he walked in and he's got the little pencil mustache and it's beret on and stuff. And I just like big square jaw. And I remember like just thinking to myself, that guy's gonna be a huge movie star very soon. And then, yeah, sure enough, <laughs> like a couple of years later, he was like everywhere. So oh,
0: yeah.
1: um, but that's another one too, like uh, from like a filmmaking standpoint and Quentin Tarantino had said that he'd written it like 10 or 15 years prior. And then when they went to actually go make the movie, he purposefully created uh, like a short shooting schedule because his fear was that if he started to go back in to, you know, review the screenplay more that he would tinker with it. And he said, you know, I remember thinking like when I wrote it 15 years ago, whatever it was, just thinking like this is already a perfect screenplay and he didn't want to mess with it. So he purposefully gave himself like a short shooting schedule just so he would adhere to the screenplay that he wrote. And then obviously that's the movie that you ended up with. So. Yeah. good. In- incredible movie. Gabe, what do you think?
3: I've never seen it. You're oh, your top I this is this was rough. There's been some movies I saw on your other list. And this one I'm looking at all of them and I'm like, Yep, that's a big fat donut for me.
1: <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong with that, man. There's, but there's see,
3: that's of- what that's that's why I'm on this show because you know you guys have experienced people not so experienced. And then there's Gabe right at the bottom, just hanging in here,
2: just here for the I, ride. I have a hard time talking, you which tense. you're good at. You know and though, yeah. I watch the movies, and I show you the movies. There we go. That's our yin yang. <laughs> it's a good relationship. <laughs> Talk for me, Gabe. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I I agree, and I I love Christoph Waltz. That was another. That was the first movie where we got to see his performance. In the U.S., and then he's taken off here in the states too, and he's done oh yeah uh, great movies like he was of course in the the recent Bond films, and he's done horrible movies like uh, Green Hornet, and so I've seen that so, one. <laughs>
0: <yeah>. <laughs> I, I it it wasn't
2: as bad as everyone. It's it's okay. It's not what I was expecting, but it also was because you put Seth Rogen and Green Hornet together kind of what i was expecting so no i I love christoph walt that's a bingo (laughs) Uh, brad pitt i think that was the movie that really made brad pitt my favorite actor
1: lieutenant aldo rain Aldo rain
2: gore like yeah that's another thing
1: like his his cadence and the way that he talks i'm a direct descendant of the mountain man jim bridger you know like (laughs) just all those performances are just absolutely incredible i mean everybody nailed it
2: the the sequence where he's telling everybody about the scalps and I want one hundred scalps and I'll get my scalps <laughs> and Nazis, he just yeah just to zoom in on him and it's just
1: uh, we're in the business of killing Nazis and cousin uh, let me tell you business is a booming <laughs> Gabe, you do this I've never seen movie, this movie, so, it. so it's so there, good there's there's already a movie called Inglorious Bastards that's that doesn't have the misspellings in it the Quentin Tarantino's movie is is purposefully misspelled um so I've, I've never seen that and i've never seen the dirty dozen the lee marvin movie which is oh. so i know that those films these kind of over-the-top action films or you know, world war ii movies are are the inspiration for inglorious bastards so um yeah i i haven't quite seen the inspirations but i do love what quentin did with, with that one so happy to watch and it's a movie about movie making too you know because you've got this this propaganda film that's going to be shown and that's kind of the underlying plot of the whole movie so yeah just really really fun movie as well
0: and, yeah.
3: and that's why that's why i haven't watched it because i keep searching it and it doesn't come up because i keep typing it
1: correctly that's what it is <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm pretty sure,
3: sure like, i blame I
1: your I you grammar list and i I tried to spell it the way they do, but yeah, I don't know. You have to, you have to look it up.
2: Well, the last one on your list before Gabe uh, takes us into film scores and composers with you is Young Frankenstein, which that's pronounced
1: I... Frankenstein.
2: Yeah, my bad, my bad. Whatever. <laughs> now, I I saw it for the first time six seven months ago. Uh, I had seen the clip in finale all the time on the movie ride, so I, I you know, and I've known about it, of course, but I never sat down and watched it, and I watched it. it was hilarious, I was crying laughing the whole time, and, uh, probably out of the Mel Brooks movies I've seen, you know, I grew up with Spaceballs, religiously growing up. I, I think I, I think I like it more than Spaceballs, actually, I think I really do. But what is it about young Frankenstein for you, sir? It's one of
1: my mom's favorite movies and we had the we had a VHS copy obviously so uh, growing up what's funny is our VHS copy had a color like the 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 insert for the film jacket was color so like on the back of the VHS it was like photos of all the cast members like in color so like Peter Boyle was actually green and anyway um but yeah the movie was made in black and white but one of my favorite movies Um, largely again, due to my mom, she loved it. She watched it all the time. She'll, I can like say almost any line from that movie and she'll just crack up laughing. Uh, but it's also one of those comedies that like, there's always something new that you might notice, like every time you watch it, you know, so you can watch it multiple times and pick up on a joke that you didn't pick up on the first time and that kind of stuff. And, um, it's it's interesting that it's regarded as such a popular Mel Brooks movie because he really only directed it and Gene Wilder actually wrote it and produced it. It was his passion project was to do it and um, originally he had asked Mel Brooks to do it and Mel said no, he didn't want to and uh, Gene kind of kept pestering him and finally convinced him that he was the only person who could direct the movie and It's really remarkable because Gene was a huge fan of the old Frankenstein movies. So he treated the genre with a lot of respect and, and tried to adhere to, you know, all the stuff that made those old monster movies good, but at the same time, making this like absurd comedy. (laughs) And that's like no better displayed than in Frankenstein's laboratory in the movie is actually a ton of the old props and stuff from the original, like Frankenstein films. Uh, So that's just really really cool even though i'm not you know like big into that genre or 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 those movies but it's just like yeah that's really neat that they would go to that length to kind of do it um but again it's just one of those like highly quotable always funny you notice something new every time you know and then again it has a a a personal family uh, connection as well and that's something you probably notice as a trend in a lot of my movies i have some kind of like you know, personal connection with it as well so yeah for my family that's uh definitely a, a top five
2: uh, quote movie that's for sure gabe have you seen that one
3: bits and pieces of it I, if, if i'm not mistaken there's like the whole number where uh he sings "Putting on the ritz yes, yes. yeah yep. okay okay yep. okay i've seen that scene
1: there we go that's a good one well that's it's a funny good like one. and amazing the kinds of things that it it like leads to um there's a scene where Igor, Igor, is first meeting uh, Gene Wilder's Frankenstein,
0: <laughs> and he's got his and all that. You know? yeah, yeah. Just...
1: there's a lot of recurring jokes and stuff, but he does the, the part where he he's got like this little tiny cane that's like it's like 15 inches long. It's super small, and he goes walk this way, and he you know walks, and then he turns and he hands the cane to. <laughs> to Gene Wilder this way this way Gene makes Gene Wilder do the same thing and that actually inspired Aerosmith to write the song Walk This Way they just I don't know why like, I didn't know funny, that it was a funny oh. yeah so there you go talk about Mel Brooks Young Frankenstein Walk This Way Aerosmith Rock and Roller Coaster Disney everything's seven degrees <laughs> video land we're back yeah but yeah hilarious movie watch it
2: I think that's why I admired it so much when I finally sat down and watched the whole thing was just how how much attention... I didn't know that they pulled props from the original Frank... So it, it makes a lot of sense just thinking about it. And uh, as much as I've grown to love What We Do in the Shadows, uh, going back and watching that, I am for certain that when Jemaine Clement and Taika Waititi wrote What We Do in the Shadows, they probably got a good bit of their inspiration from Young Frankenstein. <laughs>
1: Definitely. I, I could definitely see that as well. And I mean, obviously there'd been other like zany genre movies, you know, even older ones, Ab and Costello meet the mummy and all that kind of stuff. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think it, they had been out of the, out of the cycle for such a long time to then approach a movie like that in such an interesting fashion. Um, originally the studio didn't want it filmed in black and white. They wanted it in full color, like you know, but obviously, from a creative standpoint, they stuck to their guns and they ended up making a really remarkable movie that's got a good story. It uh, homages the original Frankenstein films really well, and it's just hilarious. So.
2: Uh, Gabe, you want to discuss five film scores
3: or composers? Yeah, awesome. We'll dive into it. Um, the only one that I've never heard of is the first one uh, Bernard Herman, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, yeah. Why is, I mean, he's done Taxi Driver, uh, The Day of the Earth, Stood so Still. I think, I'm pretty sure I saw that he also did uh, Lost in Space, the TV show he composed for that. Nice. Nice, yeah. Um, yeah. Why is he number
1: one? Uh, he also did a handful of like, Hitchcock films, and so for me, I don't really, I mean, I just honestly don't know the names of a lot of other composers prior to like the 70s and that kind of stuff, and so the fact that he had been around and he's created such iconic like soundtracks and compositions himself. So uh, there's a lot, obviously everybody knows the Psycho, you know, and all that. And there's even uh, an interlude from Psycho. Um, I think it's when, is it Kate Novak? I think it's when she's driving her car or something and like Busta Rhymes uses that as a sample in, in one of it in the song, give me some more, you
0: know,
1: so I mean, yes. just in terms of like a melody and composition, I really can't identify anybody else, you know, prior to like the seventies, I can just like point to a movie or something and be like, e yeah, so, that sounds like Bernard Herman. And um, it wasn't until I had watched taxi driver. And then um I think my, my VHS had like a, uh, like a, a tribute to Bernard Herman on it. So like if oh. you finished watching the movie, you could watch <laughs> this like little feature. And it was Martin Scorsese talking about him and, and he was just like over the moon that he'd even gotten Bernard Herman to come and do the the music for for this movie. And I wouldn't say that Taxi Driver has like really... It's not like the kind of music that you would like just think about, you know, not like a John Williams or or something like that, but it is still very distinct. If you hear it, you can immediately say, yeah, that's from Taxi Driver. So I think he just created a really unique sound. And uh, as I've learned about him, I've just grown to like appreciate the kind of his style and also the other composers that he's since influenced.
3: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, like, as I'm looking at the list, I'm like, wow, he's done a lot. And especially... One of my favorite older shows. He did, uh, he composed 74 episodes of The Twilight Zone. Yeah. That's nice.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I I didn't even know that. So that's cool. So I mean, just, (laughs) yeah, I just think he was, he was like one of the first real, you know, composers that really created like a unique sound for himself and that continued throughout his entire career.
3: Um, So we'll dive into the second one. Uh, This one's a little bit more uh, well-known in the universe. Uh, Mr. John Williams.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm pretty sure now has showed up on everybody's list. Yep. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I honestly, like, like, what else can you say that hasn't been said already? I mean, (laughs) think of almost any movie soundtrack. Like, if I just asked a random person on the street to be like, tell me a movie, like, can you hum a movie soundtrack? I, you know, completely arbitrarily would say 95% of folks are probably going to start humming a John Williams tune.
3: Right? I mean, yeah, it's like, you know, you think about these composers and stuff, and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know. But, like, really just diving in and looking at the list, it's, you know, obviously beyond um, Star Wars. You know, he has, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, the Jurassic World. He's composed music for that. Um yeah, like the, Harry, do you, the first
1: Harry Potter movie, he did yes. the Harry Potter theme. I mean even I mean, the third kind, like amazing.
2: <laughs> Jaws, of course. Raiders. Yeah. Oh,
3: yeah, it's crazy. I mean, do you, is you know, he has a long list, and I'm literally still scrolling through his list yep. of composers and stuff. Is there a certain like is there a movie or you know a trilogy or anything like that that like of his movies that really sticks out to you.
1: Yeah, definitely star Wars. So I'm obviously just a huge fan of obviously all the movies. I think the asteroid belt, you know, music is some like the most thrilling, you know, like just absolutely incredible. Um, it's the reason why I I'm probably one of the few people who worked at star tours that really loved working the arrivals hallway because yeah, it's, it's just nothing about yep. star Wars yep. music while you're standing yep. back there. And so like, I, I didn't mind it, man. I, I loved, I loved hanging out back in the arrivals hallway and just listening to like, you know, usually it was just like whatever the music played at the end of the credits was. So it was kind of like a, compos- a composition of things, but um Obviously, all of his themes are, are amazing. Um, if I really had to pinpoint, like, what are just like two really specific ones, I would say the, the asteroid belt or the asteroid field chase music, um, and then the entire ending of Close Encounters of the third kind. So, even though everybody knows the do, doo do, 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 but the fact that he actually composed the entire like conversation um, between, you know, the humans and the aliens at the end of Close Encounters. So, you know, even been able to kind of like he created like a language of music. So absolutely incredible. I'm getting goosebumps talking about that one.
3: <laughs> uh, it's funny. And, you know, looking at uh, his list, I didn't realize he uh, conducted uh home alone Two: lost in New York. That's, he <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. on
1: It's what? on his list. Yeah. He composed the first one too, I believe. Yeah. 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 And also the fact that like, um, <clears throat> My wife and I, when we got married, when and my sister was our officiant, but like when she announced us, we had the Indiana Jones theme play as we walked out. Nice. Uh, I know Crystal appreciated these, and then and well, Gabe will too. But uh, um, and then also okay, when fine. we were like, <laughs> and then when we were like introduced at the reception, we did the the Star Wars fanfare and all that kind of stuff. So we we found ways to to sneak it in you noble know, little John Williams into the wedding. <laughs>
3: cool. Uh, you know, we will jump to number three. And, uh, am I saying this right? James Horner. Yeah. I Horner. Yep. Okay. All right, cool. I just didn't yeah. want to, you know, if like, sort of a, like
1: if you've seen a James Cameron movie, you've heard <laughs> James Horner's music. I mean, yeah, yeah, I see that true. the first
3: two movies he's that's known funny, for is it. Titanic like, and avatar.
1: Yeah. So, but he also did aliens, the sequel to the alien, right? Um, there's the classic, like it's funny because it's, it's, I think it's actually a ripoff of the Gustav Holst. Holst, he's the composer that did the Planets. Um, but anyway, the the song Mars from Gustav Holst was actually in the movie Gladiator. James Horner like, kind of ripped that off because at the end of Aliens, there's the the big build up thing, uh, dun 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 dun, bum 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 bum. Ba, 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 ba. And that's James Horner. And they play that everywhere. I'm pretty sure it was like a standard of movie previews in like the early 90s. Like every movie preview had that song in it and stuff. <laughs> so um, yeah, as far as like 80s, 90s action movies, he's, he's got a pretty, pretty good lockdown on, on a few fan favorites as well.
3: Yeah, I see that. Like it's a lot of, uh, lot of action. And then you hit the 2000s and he uh, composed How the Grinch Stole Christmas. This oh, is a great yeah, movie.
0: yeah.
3: Yeah. That's, I mean, that's one of my, like, I would say, if not my top favorite Christmas movie. Just, just you saying, know, no, Jim that Carrey. One,
2: that one's near and dear to you. I know. Struck me <laughs> before I kill again. He did the music. I've i I'm been now, too.
1: He did the music for Captain EO. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah.
2: That's
0: right. Not the
1: songs, obviously. We all know. Oh, yeah. yeah. The song, but, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, they got, yeah, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Star Trek Three, uh, yeah, he he's done a whole bunch of stuff. So chances are, if you're if you're hearing a song in your head, if it's not John Williams, it's probably James <laughs> yeah. Horner. Oh,
2: exactly.
1: Yeah,
3: that's awesome. or
2: your or your next person.
1: Oh,
3: ex- exactly, Mr. Yeah.
1: Hans Zimmer. I'm trying he's to about, I'm trying all to of to his music is all of his music is very atmospheric. It's very German.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but I do. I do see what you mean by you know atmospheric. with you know, Interstellar and Inception, and even you know one of my favorite movies, Gladiator.
0: Yes.
2: Oh, Which turned 20 no. years old the other day. Was it yes yesterday? or The day was crazy. Yeah.
3: That is really 20. 20- oh my god. Mm-hmm. Let's me go get to my cane so I can finish the episode. 15,
2: <laughs> the 15. The 15 inch cane. Walk this way. Is that what you doing?
3: um but i mean like obviously has you know great scores and stuff but why is why did he make your list
1: um just another one of those like yeah if i had to just like start thinking about what are movies that are on my list or what are those soundtracks that i i had my my family and i always kind of we have like this whole theory of like you know the soundtrack to your life you know like what you know what kind of Situations are you in where you know something like a certain song or a musical composition might kind of fit that tone and I feel like Hans Zimmer is just kind of that way (laughs) like I can't help but feel like I'm in a Hans Zimmer movie (laughs) Um, we went to Italy for our honeymoon last year, which was incredible and Getting a chance to like go into the Coliseum and actually like be on the ground level was like unbelievable but all like, I literally like could stand there and just like hear the music from Gladiator, like in my head, you know, like everywhere that we went in Italy, I just kept hearing like his Hans Zimmer <laughs> music. So yeah, Gladi- he also did Black Hawk Down. So like very similar kind of music there. So, and that's, you know, one of my top fives. Yeah, I just couldn't leave him off. I just think he's an incredible composer and all three, well, not three, all four of the composers that I have listed, they all have very distinct mm-hmm. sounds, I think so. Um, yeah,
3: he's he's just another one He has a pretty busy 2020 even with his quarantine. He has a yeah Wonder woman no time to die and top gun maverick So yeah. the fact he's so gonna yeah, so do Gladiator, a bond movie
1: to the Caribbean. Oh, I know that's so exciting.
3: Oh That's awesome yeah. Cool so we're going to jump from Composer and jump into a film score, uh, Days yeah. and Confused. All right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> of course. So
1: I, put this, I, I put this on here because I was like the kid who – like I did, I'm i not like a huge music head. My brother is. I'm, I'm really not. So if I just like watch a movie and I hear a song, like my first instinct isn't to try to like find out who the band is and go and find it. I'm just like, I'll buy the soundtrack. And I think Days <laughs> and Confused sort of like was the first – one of it was like one of the first um movies that you didn't just buy the cd for like one song you know what i mean Mm. like i had the i had the cocktail cassette tape just so i could listen to kokomo by the beach boys you know um (laughs) that's true story by the way um but like days to confused has an actual amazing soundtrack of just a great 70s songs so many actually they made two cds they had two different they had released like oh music from the movie and then they ended up making another one because it was just like people wanted more of these awesome like 70s rock songs and stuff so i put it on there only because it's like really like the first one of those that i really got into um now you know tons and tons of movies use contemporary music not just like film scores but contemporary like songs in in a lot of their Stuff And so, like, if you were to look at my CD collection when I was in high school, it's, like, over half just, like, film soundtracks, you know, like, inspired by the movie or whatever, or if there was, like, a a song tie-in or something like that. So, you know, Batman Forever had just from a
0: Rose by (laughs)
1: Seal, you know, I mean, just all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, I had, like, a ton of those. I just have to, like, give a shout-out to the fact that, like, not every movie is made by an original score. Sometimes a movie is made by the the contemporary music that goes along with it and i think one of the best examples of that currently is the guardians of the galaxy films you know you look at guardians one and two not only do you have like a killer soundtrack but it's directly tied to the emotional elements of the movie which is just incredible and then yeah they're just like all jamming songs so Movies continue to do it. They keep doing it. Um, I often think about, you know, like a story or something that I would tell if it was like if I had to do this. What song could I put in there or something like that? So just going back to like the soundtrack of your life, you know. Um, so I had to give kudos to Days and Confused. I felt like it really was like the first one to really be like not just one song but like a whole album of just here's a killer soundtrack to this movie. Nice.
3: Yeah, I don't even. I don't even know what my. My soundtrack would be probably something from like Charlie Chaplin, as I like goof around and, and fall. <laughs> <laughs> that would be do you, the, man. The whistle, do the whistle, do the whistle.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Gave the musical. <laughs> there you go. But
3: I mean, I, it's funny speaking of musical like when you were talking about that. There's, you know, there's been movies that are built around the soundtrack, and it's not you know you always original work i mean same thing happens with musicals there's you know that's the new and up and coming trend with musicals uh basing it off people's music and just building a story around it so it's cool it's cool to see in both aspects but yeah it's awesome
1: yeah shut up you two you want to blow our cover hey you you're listening to the great movie radio show starring chris and gabe don't nobody move until we get back or else If you know what I mean.
3: Warning. Remain on this podcast. The advertisement
2: you are experiencing is extremely dangerous. Proceed with caution. Autumn Star Entertainment is an independent producer of movies and video. Their goal is to provide Hollywood-level entertainment for low-to-no budget. Check them out on Facebook.com slash Autumn Entertainment or on Twitter at AutumnStarENT.
0: Hey, what are you looking
1: at? Hit the subscribe button to catch more of the great movie radio show starring Chris and Gabe, and maybe you won't get hurt. Here they come, cool, boss! A look at the red light no, no, the red lights against the law and now would never break the law no more red light hi there great movie radio show fans my name is dalton burdett and i'm here to tell you about the movie nights well what are the movie nights the movie nights are a small production company out of orlando florida responsible for award-winning short films podcasts and a variety of movie loving content and we are also new partners of the great movie radio show so for some more movie-loving content that you guys will probably enjoy, please head over to our YouTube channel, Movie Nights, and you can find the exact link at youtube.com slash C slash Movie Nights. And also, be sure to listen to our podcast hosted by me and my partner, Ryan Warner, on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. And yes, Movie Nights is spelled with a K because we think we're clever. Time for Chris and Gabe, hosts of a Great Movie Radio Show, to get back to white. I better lay low for a while, the heat's on. On second thought, I could go for some popcorn.
2: All right. Well, I think it's time to briefly cuz we're we're going pretty long here. We'll try to <sighs> Get to a wrapping point, even though we'll probably end up talking for another three hours. Sorry, Gabe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, your your favorite director, Stanley Kubrick, and I still have quite a few of his library to watch. Yeah, I mean, The Shining alone—you watch that, and you—he deserves any accolade that he's received. It's incredible, and yeah, what 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 about him? Makes him your. Um, one of your favorites
1: yeah i just like i just fell in love with his style he has a very um
2: symmetrical
1: kind of style and he loves to use you know things like the hallway shot in the shining with the elevator or the the maze the the hedge maze he loves using the kind of vertical frame um, but also keeping everything like really symmetrical so i don't know why like that's just the way i Sort of look at things as well, so when I'm taking photos or taking videos, that's kind of the way that my eye sort of goes to anyways, is this kind of symmetrical, you know, this, this high high level of symmetry in, in just visual nature. And so I, I really fell in love with that right away. Um, I, I've seen, I think, the majority of his film library. I certainly have not seen every single one of his movies, but um, the, every single movie that I've watched of his is just a solid movie they're just really well done really well made movies really creative he was also a pioneer in terms of you know the technology of things so um the dolly cam the the handheld or the steady cam i should call it. the steady cam was invented by him and his film crew to do the hedge maze sequence from the ending of the shining because they needed to be moving backwards but they couldn't have a track down for a dolly for the camera. So they actually invented the steady cam just so they could do these shots, you know, so it's them moving backwards and Danny uh, moving forward and all that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, just in terms of like a a technical pioneer, he was always kind of pushing the boundaries of what was possible and what you could do. Um, And then his movies are all just so unique. I mean, you can watch anything from Spartacus, the Kirk Douglas movie, which is a, a pretty big epic sword and sandals movie to uh, you know the shining clockwork orange uh full metal jacket i think is one of the most unique war movies ever made it's not really a three-act structure it's like a full two-act structure um so just in terms of like yeah the the way that you can think about how a movie is structured how it's filmed the way it looks um you know you're watching a movie when you're watching a stanley film. Unlike maybe somebody like Spielberg who can do something that's a little bit more kind of natural or, or Scorsese who can kind of, you know, get you a little bit more. But um, and I think for that reason, sometimes, you know, people might think of his films as like a little bit more artsy or something. But, you know, they are. He's definitely, I think, not necessarily I was making a movie for the audience, but he's building a visual that I think everybody can just look at and say like, "Wow, that's beautiful, even if it's representing something that's not so beautiful um, so yeah, he's just an incredible filmmaker, in my opinion. Um, it's a shame that he you know passed away at a relatively early age, but uh, you know hopefully we could have gotten more movies out of him, but um, there's a lot of stuff out there as well, so if anybody's interested in just like learning more about him and his style and, and the people that he worked with and that kind of stuff um, there's a lot of documentaries about him. And so, if, yeah, highly recommend checking him out. Just a, a really cool guy. And honestly, like down to earth at the same time. So even though he approached things in like this really interesting way, um, you know, he was a, a very likable person. Everybody liked working with him. He wasn't, you know, an a-hole or, or somebody that people didn't care, care for. He had a tight knit group of individuals that he worked with and they made some really remarkable films that pushed the boundaries of what you could do narratively and visually.
2: And uh, you can see inspirations of his filmmaking style and films even today. I mean, I, I don't remember if I've talked about it on the show, but recently uh, Ad Astra with Brad Pitt. Mm, yeah. Felt very Kubrickian. And I hadn't seen Space Odyssey when I saw Ad Astra. And so it's funny that I was able to, to pinpoint his style based on, I think, the one or two movies of Kubrick that I had seen. And then I go watch Space Odyssey, and I'm like, totally kubrick I uh, Yeah, I think that's why I like that movie as much as I do. Well, it's, uh, um, a
0: lot of
1: people put his name you know, along the likes of people like Coppola and that kind of stuff. And Francis Ford Coppola directed Apocalypse Now, and Apocalypse Now is based on the book Heart of Darkness, and Ad Astra is based on Heart of Darkness as well. So there's you know, a little bit of connection you know, with some of those groups, I guess. But, the, oh, yeah. Um, yeah well, some people don't know uh well, you know, some I'd say some, I don't know, the arbitrary uh name, but uh the movie AI, the Steven Spielberg movie with uh Haley Joel osmond Jude Law and all them, that was a Stanley Kubrick film. He was developing it. He had gotten as far as you know, storyboarding and all that kind of stuff, uh when he passed away and um you know Steven Spielberg took up the took up the the rod and went out and, and tried to do it justice and it's fun to watch ai because you can definitely see where steven spielberg is but you can also tell where he's channeling kubrick um you know all the way to the, the very end of the movie
2: i haven't seen ai in a long time and it was definitely before i knew that spielberg took it over from stanley kubrick so it's it's on my shelf now and i've been meaning to go back and watch it once i discovered that that occurred um just because i, I to go from Kubrick to Spielberg, that is a completely big shift in direction. Because, yeah, oh man, they are two Literally. completely Literally different a people. A shift in direction. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> video Land. Um, I'm just gonna say that randomly. That's just gonna be my sure. catchphrase now. Video Land. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I've
1: got i got video of my of my brother at about age I don't, I don't know 11 doing a commercial. For video you land, You showed all. me that. I think you. I have. probably have, yeah. Um, so yeah, not to go too far off topic, but yeah, my my dad did all of the commercials for the video store. So if anybody has wants to have any idea where I get my sense of uh, of outgoingness and performance, that's all from my dad. So
2: <laughs> well, we'll we'll come back to the Spielberg stuff in a moment. Um, but you have Martin Scorsese as your next favorite director, and. Um, you just saw Goodfellas for the first time. Yeah. How how was that?
1: Uh it was it's funny cuz it's obviously been like spoofed so much since it came out um in all kinds of play- I think Saturday Night Live has done spoofs of it and and I mean it's been copied and um so I could definitely like see why I got like I understood the hype like right when I watched it and I I could definitely see you know why Joe Pesci I don't know if he won or he was nominated for an Academy Award, um, but like just everybody did a phenomenal job in that film and the way it's represented. And it's particularly funny because we we uh, we watched it uh, shortly after I'd been talking to my my mom and and her husband, my stepfather, who he's a criminal defense attorney in Cleveland, Ohio. He's Italian. And he is literally friends with people that have nicknames like Big Ange and all this kind of stuff. So like <laughs> all these just super Italian people he represented members of the Italian mafia, you know, in the seventies and eighties in Cleveland, Ohio, you know, and it was like one of the most dangerous cities in America at the time. So I mean the guy just like connected with with everybody. He literally knows a guy named Polly Walnuts and all this kind of stuff because he looks like the character from The Sopranos. And <laughs> and so we were like talking with them uh, like the day before and he was explaining to us, you know, about some guy with a weird Italian nickname and all this and that. And so we watched Goodfellas the next day and I'm like, no, I know exactly what he's talking about. Like these, you know, so, um, so that, that was fun. It's like, it, it was a really nice kind of view into that world. And uh, I think gangsters in general, like people are just, intrigued by how they operate and stuff. So, uh, and you know, they're just larger than life type of people. And so, you know, having a glimpse kind of into their world was, uh, was a lot of fun. But yeah, like the big tracking shot of them coming into the Copacabana down through the kitchen and all that, I mean, just pure classic, uh, classic shots and stuff. And Scorsese to me, he's one of those directors who he's a little bit more difficult to sort of like pinpoint his exact style Um, There's a few things that he does that not a lot of other filmmakers will do. Um, He'll straight up like pan away from the action toward just like a still shot of something. In in Taxi Driver there's a scene where uh, Robert De Niro, Travis Bickle, he's, he's on a payphone, he's talking on a payphone. And the camera just like pans off of Robert De Niro talking on the phone just looking out this hallway. And his like conversation on the phone fades out and just like the ambient noise of outside New York City gets louder and just like fades in and just like weird stuff like that. I mean, just things that, again, other filmmakers don't really do that sort of pushes the boundaries of the medium and and how it can be, you know, kind of shown and, and utilized and that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, just phenomenal. He's one of those guys where you watch one of his movies and if it doesn't hit you right away, if you watch it again, it'll it'll continue to just like grow on you and you'll realize how good of a movie you're really watching in the heart of it. So uh Shutter Island is a great example of that. Oh, I actually yeah. didn't care for it the first time I saw it. Now I've seen it like two or three more times, and I know like the last time I watched it, I was like really engrossed in everything that was happening within the movie, you know, and that's not even like one of his like best films, you know, quote unquote best films. So um, yeah, he's a phenomenal director. He's obviously known for doing the gangster movies and stuff, but um, yeah, he's knocks it out of the park every time.
2: As many times that I had previous talked with guests about the Departed, it was being brought up all the time. I was like, God, I haven't seen it in so long. So St. Patrick's day wife and I watched it. And uh, it holds up every oh, yeah. bit of it. Just, yep. Gabe, have you Uh, you got a favorite Scorsese? Oh, wait, we've talked about your uh, Goodfellas, right? Or the casino. Are you muted again?
3: Sorry, yeah, I was muted <laughs> again. <laughs> I, I need... <laughs> Damn it. Damn You're you, mute like, one. See you nodding oh, and
1: we're oh. talking. Uh, but
3: no, yeah, casino, uh, yeah. But I mean, I, it's, it's a lot. I've seen Goodfellas, and obviously we talked about it on jack's podcast and now all i can think of when i talk about Goodfellas is uh, that gif of uh what's his face with the big eyes um oh i can't think of his name right now ray but,
0: liotta. Yeah,
2: yeah ray like, liotta yeah i like his like laugh father. was
1: hilarious i mean i was dying every time he would start laughing he's just got a really like big laugh in that movie and it's, it's so good it's pretty incredible
3: but yeah i mean i agree with you dave he he really does knock another park, and I still, still need to sit down and you know watch the Irishman just because you know I've heard a lot of good things and it's, well, yeah, it's crazy. So yeah,
1: I mean, it's kind of yeah, obviously it's like a slower moving picture and it's so it's very long. But we sat down and we watched it. And we were both shocked, that, like we, that we want the whole movie. We didn't even pause it to have a bathroom <laughs> break. I was like shocked. I was you know so uh, so I really liked it, but I think one of the things that I love about, especially my top three. So Kubrick, Scorsese, and then Spielberg. Um, they're all directors who are very focused on making sure that the actors are get are are in in the role when they're f- filming. But they're also just very cognizant of like the technical side of things as well. So just being able to balance that as a director, um, you know, I, I kind of commend
2: them for that. For, for that ability. And since you mentioned number 3 Spielberg, we'll talk about him and again oh, yeah. him taking over for Stanley Kubrick for AI. You also have to think there's not a lot of directors who could be up to the challenge like that either because mm-hmm. his track record when that what was that 99 when AI was it ninety so 98 97 is probably when it was getting made or something around then and I think want to want to say yeah. released in 99. Well so
1: Kubrick passed away <laughs> during filming of Eyes yeah. White I think they were almost done with it um and then but yeah like AI was basically a project that was like I mean it was green lit. it was like on its way to being a movie um when he passed away so but I I, I know that Kubrick and Spielberg they had had a conversation about it like it was that it was I mean to that to that level um and and I think Kubrick had asked him if he would finish it you know, or, or actually make the movie for him and and so it was something that he kind of did just uh to, to help a friend or whatever but true if you watch it if you watch it thinking i'm gonna watch a steven spielberg movie i think you'll be disappointed but if you go into it and you you know try to put yourself into the mindset of i'm about to watch a stanley kubrick film i think you'll get a little bit more out of it you know just because again it was sort of written and designed for his style and and Spielberg um I did a great job in like taking up the mantle and and going forward but uh you know to me I think Spielberg his big thing is to me he is not shy about the fact that he knows that he makes he makes movies for audiences he makes movies for people and some filmmakers I think are maybe a little bit more shy to acknowledge that because you know, maybe they think it has a negative effect on the artistic value of the movie, but I don't think that there's anything wrong with saying, no, I want to make a movie that people are going to go and sit in a movie theater and have a big bucket of popcorn and just enjoy. And I think he's able to do that, whether he's doing an action adventure like Indiana Jones or whether he's tackling an incredibly serious subject matter like Schindler's List or Saving Private Ryan. There's another reason why Steven Spielberg's name is up there with everybody else's. I mean, the guy just knows how to make a movie there's no other way to get around that um my favorite kind of like story of his is he had done i think he had done jaws and then he'd done close encounters and so he had he had a bunch of success off of both of those movies and then he went and made the was it 19 1941 yeah 1941 which i've never seen Um, same i haven't but I, I, you know, having watched like documentaries where Spielberg's talking about, there's a really great one that's just called Spielberg on Spielberg, where he's talking about his movies. And he brings up 1941 because he says, you know, he said, I think I was just like riding on this high that like, whatever I do is going to be successful. And so he just like threw everything into this movie. And he said, I think I just kind of like bombarded the audience, you know, because I just was doing whatever I wanted to and uh and he paid the price for that like the movie tanked it did not make any money it was really bad and so then when um when he was getting ready to do raiders of the lost ark that was the the movie he did right after 1941 and he said i wanted to make sure you know i I learned a pretty valuable lesson so i wanted to make sure that i i was as prepared as possible for making this movie and so he was like way under budget you know even with Harrison Ford's injury and all that kind of stuff he ended up coming in like under budget on schedule all that kind of stuff he had everything planned out and it you know became one of the most successful movies that he's ever made so you know I think that was kind of like the lesson he learned but um for me the one movie that stands out more than any other is the first Jurassic Park just because again like that age you know 93 when it came out Mind-blowing special effects.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I just watched a, a YouTube video that you know was kind of breaking down like, why is the first Jurassic Park so much better than its sequels? You know, and it kind of breaks down just uh, again from a technical standpoint and also from a performance standpoint, like what Spielberg was able to do in that first movie to create this. Just, I mean, yeah, the movie's 25 years old basically, and you could pop it in and compare it to almost any movie that's made today. Yes, there's going to be some parts that are a little dated, but overall, you're still just going to love that movie. I think it's a perfect film.
2: I think that's why Jurassic World worked as well as it did, too, is because kind of like when Star Wars did The Force Awakens, and it wrote on the nostalgia factor and almost recreated the same storyline, same pattern, just new characters, and of course, you know, we have new effects we can work with and new processes. That's kind of what Jurassic World did. But they, that, that was the big thing, is they kept the spirit of the original Jurassic Park. And then, you know, they widened the spectrum to, well, the park's done, and it's a full place, and it's operational already. And then, of course, you have the, the, the new CGI and everything. But they kept everything as spiritual to the original as they could. Jurassic World is probably one of the most successful reboots in a franchise that I've ever seen, um, and purely because of that.
1: I don't know if I agree with you one hundred percent, but no that but at the to your point though, I mean it's taking a lot of that spirit of that first movie and and carrying it over into kind of like a larger scope and stuff, and it's obvious that the filmmakers who made Jurassic world really love that content and that place that they got to go and explore and and visit as a filmmaker and um yeah, it's hard. You know, again, Steven Spielberg, just like John Williams, you know, like, what else can you say about the guy? He's been making movies since he was eight years old, you know, and he just he just knows how to he just knows how to do it, man.
2: (laughs) Now, the second Jurassic World, I cannot that the same opinion is totally not there. That movie was uh, (laughs) the only reason I own it is because I'm one of those that has to have the collection. Um, but it's yeah. it's it wasn't well, my, it was,
1: my, my wife really it likes wasn't the good world and and fallen kingdom so oh. and she also she also loves kingdom of the crystal skull and before you go off on me i, was I like that reason, one
2: i like well, it so do
1: i so do i i i have a hard time actually like saying <laughs> that i don't like movies because you know i feel like that's kind of rip off you know like yeah. i was entertained for the amount of time i was in but no it was the very first indiana jones movie she ever saw ah so at that point she was like just hooked so and she loves (laughs) she loves like south she loves south american uh and well central and south american culture and history and stuff too so the idea of like the you know the the crystal skull and mayan history and aztec history and she's a big fan so that that kind of hit like all points (laughs) for her so um yeah i mean raiders is like an incredible movie i do love that like somebody actually went and they said you know if you just removed indiana jones from the plot of raiders and the lost ark everything would have occurred the way that it would have anyways which is kind of like a funny thing to go in and and think about like oh yeah if you just took him out of the equation everything would literally happen the exact same (laughs) way he almost has no no actual effect on the plot itself but um no we've obviously already talked about you know sam private ryan and and all these other movies that he's done and in even things that he doesn't direct, you know, like even if he's just a producer on something dream
3: Exactly, yeah. that's and that's what I was gonna say next like there's so many things he like he doesn't even direct But I just feel like he's one of those people. He's like and here you go. It's gonna be a hit now. There you go. You're welcome um, Yeah, but but yeah, it's crazy like looking at his list is just producing wise it's crazy and then right into directing but
2: Yeah uh david fincher he got his start with a not so good movie and then just took off because you know so of here's course the he... funny part yep
1: i just told you that the first indiana jones movie my wife saw was kingdom of the crystal skull alien so 3 was your alien first alien movie, movie. yeah <laughs> so, so it has like a special place in my heart and well, i actually just recently watched there's a there's like a director's cut yeah that's, uh, that you can it's like vastly different than the theatrical version of the movie but yeah man like he did some interesting stuff the movie got cut up by the studio but uh, yeah he's just gone on to just do like again incredible movies seven was one that um, I watched like I think I bought the DVD it was the first time I saw it so like um 2001 2002 something like that and that was just another one of those movies that just like blew me away I'd never seen a movie like that before What's
2: in the box and,
1: oh man yeah and, <laughs> oh, and he, yeah and again he's just continued to like crush it uh you know over and over and over again and a uh, fun anecdote my uh, i had a buddy of mine he lives in la now with his wife and kids and stuff and they're all in they all do acting and, and uh, a handful of other things but he got to be ben affleck's stand-in for gone girl oh yeah oh, that, and,
2: movie. Uh, that movie man
1: but he was talking about um I don't know which scene it is
2: specifically, but I guess there's a
1: scene where uh, Rosamund Pike is basically just supposed to kind of just be like acting naturally around the house, you know, having a glass of wine, doing this, whatever. And Venture uh, basically just like made her do the take over and over and over and over again. He just like kept making her do it. And my buddy was like, you know, explaining this process to me and, and kind of saying like, yeah, I, we, none of us really knew like what he was trying to like get out of her he just kept making her do this like really simple take over and over again like really really easy thing and um he said it, they'd probably gotten up to like take uh, around like take 40 somewhere around there and uh and fincher uh normally works behind a monitor and he just like got up he you know said cut got up walked over to rosamund pike and then just like didn't like berate her but basically was like All you're doing is coming home and having a glass of effing wine and sitting down. Like, that's all there there is to it. Why don't you just relax and just do that? And then he went back. They did one more take. She did it. And he said, cut. Perfect. We're good. So, like, he'd gotten her to a point where she was just going through the motions. And so he just went through and just, you know, said something that was just going to, like, cut right through her. So that way, when she did the scene the next time, she was still doing the same motions. But she had something else going on in the back of her mind. And that's all that he was trying to convey, but you know he had this like interesting way of doing it. And I've heard that about him. I know that some, you know, n- not every director does that. Um, Clint Eastwood and Ridley Scott—they're both directors who um, they almost don't like to rehearse because they like to get that nervous energy of the actor. Unlike um, the Clint Eastwood, will do three takes tops, maybe. He's another one of my favorites. If I if my list went longer,
2: he'd be on there. Yeah. Now, if the if it's the scene I remember too, I, I want to say she's supposed to be aggravated at some point too. So part of me, part of me wants to think that he did it so many times to kind of build that frustration within her, and then yeah. just tell her it's so simple. And then yeah. she just there's that sort of decompression that natural releases with that. And oh god, he's a genius. He really is. I loved when he did the girl with the dragon tattoo remake. Yeah, that movie, uh, and I've always been a fan of his visual style, and I'd seen the Swedish version, and then watching that one, I preferred it. And not because, you know, the Swedish version is amazing, but I preferred it because, well, first of all, Trent Reznor is Nine Inch Dales, is one of my all-time favorite rock bands, and, of course, composers. But you have that combination in this story of, you know, revenge and betrayal and just oh my god and of course the scene with uh with Skarsgård and the fact that him, Daniel Craig and Fincher and him decide to take Orinoco flow by Inya, and yeah. the whole joke of it was I think I think you and I discussed the story once where have you seen a uh, girl dragon tattoo game so there's this torture scene where Daniel Craig uh, David Fincher... Oh, no, it's fine. I'm not going to oh, tell okay. you too much. You're just going to know about the music that goes on. So David Fincher, Daniel Craig, and guards, um, they sit down, and they're like, what music should we put to this torture moment? And Daniel Craig's just flipping through his iPod, and Inya's Orinoco flow comes on, and David Fincher like busts out laughing and says, yes, let's use that. <laughs> and that scene was just... So weird because you have this brutal torture happening and Horinoko Co- is playing it's, very, it's a
1: it's a very singing in the rain clockwork horn. It
2: really is. It Ooh. really is. And I I was laughing but also like biting my fingernails at this scene because it just it was twisted. The whole, like, and the fact yeah. that they were like, this just this adds to it. Oh, that's probably, that moment is probably why I love that movie as much as I do. But now, he has done one. Of, of course, the, the Mindhunter series for Netflix is probably oh, one of yeah. my favorite Netflix series out there. Just because yeah. of how grisly and, and how psychological he gets with it and that's that's another thing i love about him gotta quicken up the pace here michael curtis is your uh number five and of course he's been Ooh. known for casa michael
0: curtis
2: i always say it wrong i do <laughs> mom said say it how it's spelled and i did and i was wrong thanks mom um
1: well hey that that's all right he's from uh, austria and germany so
3: or right. actually he's from mine. hungary
1: it looks like yeah
3: i'm Same, hungry. i'm also hungry <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's why gotta hurry up, That's dinner time.
2: <laughs> Yeah, right. But we've also no, I, got. Uh, he directed the Adventures of Robin Hood with the esteemed uh, Errol Flynn.
1: So I, I chose him only because, uh, yeah, I've I've seen a lot of those, a lot of the older movies, like Christmas, all at Casablanca. Um, but uh, the reason why I chose him was because he is one of those directors that again inspired filmmakers later on. So Steven Spielberg has basically said, like. Uh, Raiders in the Lost Ark, they were watching the old Robin Hood movies and trying to figure out like, how do they do that? Like the whole, you know, the shadows, uh, you know, sword fighting and then the real actors come into the shot and all that. He was like, I am like blew me away. We had no clue how we even did it. You know, it turns out it's like stunt people off to the side and they're backlit. And so he used a lot of the same tricks and stuff that Michael Curtiz used and learned in, in these kind of bigger budget movies and and took those on. So just in terms of like tone, like if Steven Spielberg says Michael Curtiz is the guy that inspired me, then I know that you know he's got to be up there as well. Uh, Casablanca is uh, garnered as one of the best films of all time, and it's got uh, another family favorite. And yeah, so I had to throw him in. If I didn't choose uh, him, I probably would throw Clint Eastwood in there just because I, I don't think I've seen a bad Clint Eastwood movie yet.
0: <laughs> I say yet
1: because I haven't seen them all, but. Um, yeah, I mean, Unforgiven uh, was a, another great one by him. Grant Torino was uh, Clint Eastwood. And yeah, so love, love, love Clint Eastwood. But I, I had to throw it out. I wanted to throw in uh, somebody that probably, you know, maybe wouldn't necessarily come up on everybody's list. So um, it's a little outside the box for a choice. But just knowing that he influenced a lot of the filmmakers that I love uh, was enough for me to put it on there.
2: Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I'm glad
3: I, you didn't say uh, Clint Eastwood because then I would have said uh, I hated the Jersey Boys movie because I love the <laughs> musical so much.
2: <laughs> I've seen neither of those. I haven't seen the movie. I haven't seen the musical. Well, it's about Frankie Valley. Oh, I you know. know. I know. I know.
1: Yeah. I know that. Yeah, I just yeah.
2: haven't seen it's either. All that
1: mattered. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and I know he didn't direct it, but I just watched uh, Fistful of Dollars yesterday, actually. So. Oh, nice. Yeah, I got, the, I got the I got the set. Trilogy. I got the set after talking with Jack uh and uh no god that was so just the the, the intro i had goosebumps and i'm like <laughs> man i've never been so excited for a western in my life this is gonna be wonderful and yeah that's the stare well, and the look in the eye and just, oh, everything just
1: wait till you get to the good the bad and the ugly. Oh, I've, I've seen that one I've, it's been a long okay. time
2: but uh i'm well, excited I'll, for a yeah, few I'll, dollars more and all, all of them.
1: those are all three of those are a lot of fun but... awesome awesome
2: <laughs> well we're gonna do something new because we're trying to quicken this up but we're hitting an hour and a half game because we talked too much no i'm just kidding um, um I we're gonna try to do the five films you haven't seen uh we're gonna give you 60 seconds per movie to why you want to see it okay which right. i don't think will be hard but uh, this will be fun gabe do you want to run it and i'll time it i'll time yeah all right, all right let's
3: let's see if we can bang this out
2: all right all right, right. 60 seconds so on the clock each each movie gets 60 seconds all right all right all right. Here we go. Right.
3: Start off for number one, something we're very familiar with, singing in the rain, and go. <laughs>
1: so I've I i i will have to just say I've never seen the movie like start to finish. Obviously, I've seen lots of sequences from the movie. I'm very familiar with it. I know all kinds of trivia and stuff. So for seconds. a movie that I know so much about, the fact that I've never seen it is just really kind of a kind of a shame. So I know that I absolutely just it's a must watch even though i've seen the majority of the movie already i just need to actually sit down and watch it start to finish so that's why it's number 1 on there um it's i think one of the only movie ride films i've not seen
2: cool you did there that go. what 37
1: 38 seconds 38, <laughs> 38 seconds
3: <laughs> wow all right
1: are we, we can... going
2: to try to break Let's a record if... i can probably <laughs> right. do
1: most of these very quickly honestly
0: so there yeah, yeah
2: i mean Talking about a movie you haven't seen before, I'm sure it's going to be easy. But I just wanted to make it fun because we're yeah, maybe this is a <laughs> new segment. Like, hey, speed round,
3: let's see speed it. round. Yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. testing
2: that out. So, all right, so, uh, next call one.
1: Call it the finale 30. round. Yeah, yeah, there <laughs> we go. right, right, exactly. <laughs> all right, next movie,
3: go. Dune. Um, didn't know about this movie. I looked it up. There's a 2020 version that hasn't come out yet. So I'm assuming you're talking about the 1984 version.
1: That is the version I'm talking about. I've never seen it um, just because like I so saw I'm a big sci-fi fan. I think a lot of us are It's one of those movies that like a lot of people talk about. Um, it seems to be very much like a cult classic from what I understand it is a little heady David it's Lynch not right the best
2: so, movie thirty seconds
1: no no i've I've heard that yeah not not the best movie in the world but um but i'm still just really intrigued i think at this stage i mostly just want to watch it because there is a 2020 version of the movie coming out so i kind of want to just learn about it and uh yeah and see if it's something that i would
2: get into nice 48 seconds you didn't oh, in the rain
0: ooh, ooh, oh ooh.
2: so that's the 38 one <laughs> one i will say uh quickly if you haven't or when you watch the movie Uh, Try to find, Sci-Fi Channel did uh, a version in 2000 with William Hurt of Dune. They remade Dune into a three-part miniseries. And then a couple years later with James McElvoy, they did Children of Dune. Remember that this is the early 2000s, and it's a Sci-Fi Channel miniseries. So the CGI graphics are not the best, but it's actually pretty good. I I like them better than the movie. And, of course, the movie has the cult following. That's why I watch it still.
1: It's all about the narrative it's all about the narrative
2: it really is so 38 seconds is still the time to beat and we're going to talk about your next one ready go
3: yeah i think this one's ironic because we're trying to you know talk about this movie quickly and jack spent an hour and a half on this movie
1: <laughs> um so we're going to talk about the uh, oh, no. gone with the wind go gone with the wind yeah classic obviously hard to believe that not only came out the same year but also was like co-directed by the same guy that did wizard of oz like that just like blows my mind that you're like gone with the wind and wizard of oz came out the same year you know like 1930s crazy um harold is one of the best epics of all time 30 seconds i know i know it's incredibly long so that's pretty much about it like it's i need to just commit to the time and actually say yes i'm gonna watch that movie
2: Ah, uh, five seconds away from beating the record. All right. Uh, Three seconds. All right. You so reset? Close. Yeah, reset. Are you ready for the next one? This is fun. <laughs> this,
3: this is kind of fun. This is kinda yeah, fun. I'm enjoying this. All right. Ready? Go. All right. So this <laughs> one has been in our finale, and I kind of actually want to watch it now that you bring it up. But Ben Hur, go. Yeah.
1: And the original Ben Hur. I'd be interested in maybe watching the, the remake that they did a few years back, which has. Uh, it stars an actor, Jack Houston, who is in Boardwalk Empire, but he's like the nephew of Angelica Houston and he plays hmm. Ben Hur. Anyway, I want to watch the original Charlton Heston. Um, especially now, again, since I've I've been to Italy, I've seen the Circus Maximus, which is the 36. actual you know, track that they that they ran actually did these races which is incredible. But I also a couple weeks ago and he was like oh you need to watch ben hur it's this incredible epic that's why i want to check it out as far as like the sandals and sand and what are they called (laughs) swords and swords and sandals movies ben hur is (laughs) the number one on my list
2: nice 53 seconds Ooh, Ooh. you got close there (laughs) all right we got one more i just saw this one for the first time the other day actually so are we ready yeah yep go
3: all right, so this should be fun. I'm probably going to spend a minute trying to pronounce it correctly, but Rashomon is that I say that Got right? It. Yeah. yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah,
1: Rashomon. Actually, Chris, the reason why I threw it on there was I think it was after your conversation with Juan Carlos. You guys had been talking about you know Magnificent Seven, Seven Samurai. So it's a uh, Akira Kurosawa. Um, it, you know, this one I've seen The Seven Samurai. It's the only Kurosawa film I've seen. Based on what I know about Kurosawa's movies, Rashomon is definitely just like the next one I want to watch. So, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Um, I would put like other, you know, he's got others after that that I would definitely check out, but that sounds like a definite number two. And I think it's like the first movie where they it, they did this, where it's like one event happens and then they replay it through the point of view of like several different people over the course of the movie. Oh, yeah. So, it was like one of the first films to do that. Um, so, yeah,
2: that's why it's on there. 55 seconds. Yeah, well, that was the term. I, I forgot where I heard it. Um, he, I think he you know, actually Juan Carlos might have brought up, but the the Rashomon effect. No, no, it was TCM because it was on turn classic movies. Uh, mm-hmm. The term for the nonlinear linear storytelling uh, is dubbed and nicknamed the Rashomon effect because Kurosawa used that style to uh, tell it from the different point of views, and you're seeing the same situation in different different angles. Nice. So, yeah.
1: There's actually a really great Stanley Kubrick movie uh, called The Killing.
2: Um, yeah, and uh, yeah.
1: it's it's um, you can definitely see where movies like Ocean's Eleven were inspired by and stuff because it's yeah it's a gang of criminals and they're going to try to essentially rob uh, like a racetrack a horse track horse racing track, um, but they do that they literally will kind of set up the the heist and then. Everything takes place around the number seven race or whatever So, you know that you're going back to another person's viewpoint because they have the announcer coming on and going and now the start of the number seven race You know, so they they did that with the killing and obviously they've done it with tons of movies ever since then um, I think the man who shot Liberty Balance is kind of like that So tons of movies have been done that way since but from what I understand that was kind of like the first So that's why I want to check it out
2: awesome Awesome, man. We're gonna yeah, right we're going to do uh, your last three. I like this time thing. Let's let's keep it going. Uh, <laughs> your favorite decade of film is the 1990s. You've got 60 seconds on the clock. And go.
1: Jurassic Park, The Rocketeer, The Matrix, uh, you know, whatever. I mean, how many movies do I even need to like rattle off that are from the 90s? So um, being born in 1983, I was seven years old in 1990 world around. So, you know. Between 7 and 17, that's you know, a formidable age uh, to be learning about movies, really getting involved in how they're made and the kinds that are coming out. And the 90s is probably like 30 seconds. one decade of film that I I think saw huge leaps, especially in the special effects department and um, yeah, some really remarkable movies. Honestly, it, all I'll say is Jurassic Park to The Matrix and everything in between. Yep. You don't need to know anything more than that.
2: Pretty much 47 seconds. <laughs> this is fun. Yeah, we need to figure out a couple of spots to put this. Your favorite guilty pleasure in 60 min- sixty seconds or less is Fear and Loathing and Las Vegas Go.
1: Yeah, so another one I got introduced to. I think my, my brother had me watch this movie because um, he was a couple years older than I am. So I think I'll watch it with him first. Another just completely insane like i've never seen a movie like this before so fear and loving in las vegas it's an independent movie it's directed by terry gilliam who uh for those of you who don't know he also made brazil uh the imaginarium of dr parnassus he worked very closely with all of monty python so you're looking seconds. at some like really zany directing uh incredible performances by johnny depp and benicio del toro specifically but it also has christina Ritchie and toby Maguire. i mean it's a who's who in this film 90s film but yeah it's about hunter s thompson it's based on one of his books so if you're not familiar with him um and he's supposed to be covering a, a sporting event but instead he and his buddy just get jacked on all kinds of five drugs and, and boozing and all kinds of stuff and they
2: just tear up las vegas 59 and five. <laughs> We're like <laughs> right there nice, nice. um i we will can't say
1: stop here too, we can't this is that country. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, I'm I'm a little bit of a of a Hunter S. Thompson fan. Uh, ever since I saw that movie, I've I've read uh, several of his books. Uh, there's also um, Billy uh, Billy Bill Murray. Uh, did a Hunter S. Thompson movie in the 80s. It's called Where the Buffalo Roam. And it's actually got Peter uh-huh. Boyle plays the same character that Benicio plays. Bill Murray plays Hunter Thompson. Mm-hmm. And in that one, it's he's actually on the road uh, for Richard Nixon's uh, election campaign. So very different kind of story, um, but you can tell. So Bill Murray, Hunter Thompson, Johnny Depp, just like total weirdos. All three of them were like best friends after the fact that was hung out together. Um, Hunter Thompson, unfortunately, he did commit suicide uh, many years ago in his home, which is in Colorado. He uh, just a talk about like a real life caricature. Like, Joe Exotic has nothing on Hunter S. Thompson,
2: <laughs> in my opinion. So I maybe mean, that's yeah, why I've given like, no two cents to, to the Tiger King at all. Cause no.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, anyway, if you're looking for like just a crazy ass ride, watch Fear and Loathing. I could quote it all day.
2: It's a great film. We're going to go for your last point, 60 seconds, to tell us why you were very disappointed or highly disliked the movie Splice. 60 seconds on the clock, and go.
1: So, Splice is a movie that nobody should watch. It came out in (laughs) 2009. It's got Adrian Brody in it the previews made it look really interesting um it's about some genetic engineers they splice together dna of different anyway they create like a, a brand new like creature or animal mm-hmm. and uh, it looked like interesting i thought it would be more scientifically grounded and uh, it is not it goes way off into like the deep end of sci-fi crap like just pure crap honestly it's hard to explain but uh it was One of the first movies I went to with my wife, we were dating at the time. and She had a a friend in town. She had a college uh, college uh, buddy of hers in town. And he and I were like really excited to go and see this movie. And so we made Aaron go and see it with us. And it was just awful. I mean, the, <laughs> the writers made Five like, the worst decisions possible. It is terrible, and it's one of the reasons Adrian Brody doesn't work in Hollywood
2: anymore. <laughs> right on, like, literally. Look at this. It's literally, bleak got uh, one minute. Nice. So wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, I,
1: I, yeah, I can honestly say, like, yeah, I've seen worse movies in my life. You know, I've seen some, like, really 60 bad seconds is over. Movies.
0: Stop, stop. You're well, 60 seconds. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just pointing out there's...
1: There's a lot of bad movies out there, but like I had reasonable expectations for this movie, and like I've never walked out of a film before, but I was very close to walking out of this one. So, don't watch it.
2: (laughs) Gabe, I think we need to take the sixty seconds thing. I feel like very game show esque right now. Right, we need to do
3: that. We could tie it into the uh, Nicolas Cage film, Gone in sixty seconds. (laughs) Sorry, our homage to Nick Cage. Oh he deserves everything. We're going to steal
1: life. the Shelby Cobra Declaration of Independence.
0: <laughs> uh,
2: and your face. So Oh man, well Dave, thanks for thanks for being on the show again and uh, letting us experiment ah, with a my video. Pleasure. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no 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 no. no, 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 we, no. we we have to go. We we don't have time for this. <laughs> <laughs> about to come out. I got a frog in my throat. I feel it. Well, uh, thank you everyone. You can find us on Spotify YouTube. It's been a pleasure to have you on, Dave. Uh, Gabe, thanks for joining me as always. and a shout out to our new partners. We got our Florida project who has provided photography for our website. Um, Autumn Star Entertainment, which is a little production company that Dave here works with. They're providing us some upcoming podcasting equipment, so appreciate that. And then Movie Nights, which is a local Florida podcast and production company who have made uh, a few short films uh, that have hit the film festival circuit locally, and uh, their newest movie uh, is going to a Vegas film festival, so congrats to them. Uh, My friends Dalton and Ryan are are part of that uh, podcast over there, so check out Movie Nights on SoundCloud. Uh, if you have time, or if you get tired of us. Either way. (laughs) So Thanks, everyone. We'll uh, see you soon. The Great Movie Radio Show is recorded in Orlando, Florida. You can visit our website at www.thegmrshow.com Art direction and logo design provided by Mr. Bayless. Voice over and intro work provided by Dave Feske, and Joe Erickson. You can find our podcast on multiple platforms, such as Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and many more. Music provided by the YouTube Audio Library. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search The Great Movie Radio Show or The GMR Show. This has been The Great Movie Radio Show. We hope you enjoy your day, and we'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of. Goodbye, everyone.
0: You have been listening to a GMR Radio production.